would you like to know? Well, you should listen. Zoom. Cron. Week in review. Listen closely. Zoom. Cron. It's gonna help you. Then think for yourself. What the hell happens? I'm gonna tell you. From my in perspective. In the Zoom Cron. In Zoom Cron. Week, week in, in review. review. Right now. Here's an independent journalist, Travis. William, William Skink Matier. Welcome to another episode of Zoomcron Week in Review. I'm your host, Travis William Skink Matier, here to go through the week's articles from Zoomcron.com. That's right. Another week where a lot of posts have been put out. That's all by me. This is a solo act, by the way. Um, I have made a few attempts to have other people more directly involved, but that doesn't seem to work out very good. And so I'll be getting to that later in the podcast. But first, I want to talk about um, the possibility that clowns are actually Nephilim demons. Yes, that's an interesting idea put out by Paul Stobbs at his YouTube channel. You can find links at the first post of the week titled Some Words for the Decider, whatever it is. That's right. Not who, what? What are we dealing with here? What are we talking about? Um, the, the post opens up with an image from my art studio, and so I have a book, The Story of JFK in Montana, and on either side of the book, there's some clowns. One clown is pretty recognizable as the Joker. This is the 60s-style Joker, holding his hand out to shake, um, so go to the blog if you want to see that. The other clown is absolutely evil-looking, very, very evil-looking, and it's one of the many weird artifacts that I purchased from a vendor... <laughs> I don't know why I said it, like, said it like that. A vendor at the Antique Mall. So the vendor is no longer at the Antique Mall. I have several of his objects, including a skull painted by a Hell's Angel with Charles Manson on it. Um, a pig, like a pig boy thing uh, made by a pretty well-known artist that mostly does music posters. Um, and then this creepy-ass clown. So the idea that clowns and the makeup and all the stylings that sort of brought into the culture through like Bainham and or uh, Barnum and Bailey, um, heavily Masonic elements to a lot of this. It's it's a fascinating concept, and you can listen to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast episode um, with Paul Stobbs if you want to know more about that. Um, but I get into just a, a little bit of the the interesting connections that I continue to experience as I watch shows like Joan is Awful. That's the first episode of the latest series from, or the latest set of episodes from Black Mirror on Netflix. And it really kind of fucked with me hard because Selma Hayek is in that. Selma Hayek is also involved in the craziest synchronicity of all time that I'm not going to get into right now. But it involves uh, the man who died inside St. Pat's because he was taken off life support. And he was on life support because he was without a home in Missoula, Montana, and he was assaulted by one or more people inside the Pavarola Center, where I used to work on January 3rd, 2020. Sean Stevenson was removed from life support on January 5th, 2020. 
And since then, I have taken it as a calling to figure out what the fuck is going on in my own backyard. So there's the picture at the blog post of Selma Hayek and Sean Stevenson. Um, once upon a time, I thought this picture would get more attention to what the hell is going on. I've reached out to like the Rolling Stone uh, since Sean's dad is a amazing man, a pastor, uh, a veteran, a uh, survivor of Vietnam. Uh, should have been blown up in the sky in his airplane, but the missile goes tink off the airplane, kind of like a miracle or some shit. Oh, by the way, did you know that Sean's dad worked on the Shroud of Turin? That you know, has something to do with Jesus, as does the synchronicity. Watch the movie Dogma. It's in there. All of this shit is so crazy, it just kind of blows my mind. And last weekend, I went through a absolute psychological hell realm and decided to come out the other side with a poem. <laughs> it was either that or a few other options. I'm not going to get into the darkness of that bullshit because the last couple of weeks have been probably the worst of my entire fucking life. But I persevere uh, for my kids who are the number one thing in my life and try to understand what risks they face in this new world we're all walking into. Well, you know. That's what I'm trying to do here. So thanks for all the support out there. You can check out the poem. You can look at my handwritten poem. I actually use a, something called a pen, and then I write stuff on paper sometimes. It's a really weird process of writing. Um, I, maybe you can just text it these days. I don't know what the kids do, but um, check all of that out. That's the first post at ZoomCron. Moving on, we've got some pictures of babies. I want to make clear at the beginning of this post, or at the beginning of the conversation of this post, these babies are not Jordan Hess. None of these babies that you will see are Jordan Hess. Jordan Hess was a baby at once, once upon a time, as we all were. Well, I think Zuckerberg may just be a cyborg, but um, Jordan Hess was a baby once, and not only was he a baby, but he was a baby in a crib, and that crib was inside of a restaurant. I immediately start thinking health codes because I think I might just be a bad person, but... I also want it to be kind of funny because Jordan Hess, as all of the mayoral candidates in, in Missoula, um, they, they had a chance to answer questions and to talk. It was in the library on the fourth floor um, that's purchased via public money called tax increment financing because the 30 million plus bond wasn't enough. But guess what? This library is amazing and it won awards. I'm starting to kind of ramble a bit, so let's stay focused. Okay, Travis? The title of the post, August 1st, is on, on Enduring the Missoula Democrat Mayoral Candidate Forum in the Trillion Dollar Library. Now, a trillion dollars is a bit of an exaggeration. It was 30 million and then some extra, as I mentioned. And really nice time sitting in the audience listening to all the mayoral candidates. Any of the big takeaways that I may have gotten? Oh, yeah, maybe one of the biggest possible bureaucratic uh, expansions ever considered by a uh, mayoral candidate, Jordan Hess. So that is actually what I took away. I don't know if it's the context that, that is going to actually be real down the road. Um, I'm worried what a, about what a integrated public safety department could mean. Also, zero-based budgeting was mentioned by multiple candidates, and zero-based budgeting, in my mind, will be the strategy, which will take years, in order to get to a integrated public safety department. So the zero-based budgeting is basically just taking each department, like if you, or you could also do this in the private sector, you take your business, you take your budget, and you go to zero. And then you slowly bring back the elements of the budget piece by piece, <clears throat> the idea being that you want to scrutinize each component of your budget. Efficiency? I mean, and this sounds like a pretty cool thing possibly, but if they already have the outcome desired in mind, which would be the creation of new departments like the 
integrated public safety department. Um, well, I just think it's good to be suspicious. So I'm going to take a drink of water. It's also good to stay hydrated when it's hot outside. And I have a post about heat being hot, but we're not there quite yet. So moving on, um, Jordan Heston mentioned, you know, the fact that working class, I think, was what he was going for when he said that he was in a crib in a restaurant. I have to point out, though, if you're uh, owning a restaurant and you're trying to have your baby in a crib on the premises, I suspect that's a health code violation. And our current sort of elected officials probably wouldn't, you know, go, oh, but, you know, the working class, I, I think they would enforce that. Well, unless you're part of the cabal, things get very selective in terms of enforcement here. But um, again, the babies you see are not actual Hess babies. Although one of them is really cute as it's spitting up. So you check out the babies at zoomcron.com. <clears throat> That's a great post. And the next post, August really started off with a bang because there was an announcement, an announcement I had been anticipating. I mentioned a few times that Logjam Presents, something was happening. Well, now that happening is official. <clears throat> and so we got the announcement, <clears throat> excuse me, that, uh, well, what do we got? I got to scroll up here on my computer. What kind of deal did Nick Chakota's Logjam Presents just sign with Live Nation? That is the question that I asked immediately after seeing the headlines and actually saw, I think, the first KPAX headline the, the night before. So I woke up. August 1st, ready to go. Why was I so ready to go? Well, you can look at all 13 links of the posts that I've written about Nick Chakota and his development ambitions over the years here in Missoula, Montana. Uh, Nick moved here from Wisconsin. Daddy named Joe. He tried to buy a Senate seat in Wisconsin. You know, Joe, Joe has a lot of money, and I think he got that money mostly from developing medical facilities across the country. And pretty amazing how Nick has come. Into Missoula, the, the, the music scene, Logjam Presents, really has now become the main music promoter, music developer. Um, Nick also has the Wilma and the Top Hat as assets. The Top Hat used to do a lot of music. Under Nick Chakota, not so much anymore. Um, but again, you can read all about that in the 13 links at zoomcron.com. And I have to mention, right on the offset, or uh, right on the outset here, that... Um, Oh, what do we got here? Uh, Live Nation is a massive, massive concert promoter, and they are connected to things like, um, oh, Astro World. That's right. If you're familiar with the possibility of music being used in satanic rituals and killing people, well, Astro World and Travis Scott, kind of an example of the, the possibility that that could be happening to our young people. So I have a link. That link goes to an NPR article. So all you liberals out there, you know, you can actually read it. Um, I will read a portion of it that I quoted in the post. This is from the NPR article. <clears throat> Rapper Travis Scott was the most recognizable figure associated with Astroworld, the Houston music festival that ended in tragedy Friday evening when eight people died and hundreds more were injured. Also among the event organizers, however, was the conglomerate Live Nation, the world's largest live events company, and one that has already been linked to hundreds of deaths and injuries in the past 15 years. Live Nation Entertainment and its subsidiary, Live Nation Worldwide, have been connected to about 200 deaths and at least 750 injuries since 2006, the Houston Chronicle reported on Monday after searching past court records, occupational safety and health administration reports, and news coverage. NPR has also found numerous OSHA citations against Live Nation. <coughs> wow! So as the tech sector brings in Cognizant, 
so does Nick Jakota say, hey, Live Nation, come on in. So very interesting. <clears throat> and I'm going to get to the possibilities of what this means later in my conversation with you listening about what the hell's going on in Zoomtown. Okay, so let us continue to uh, to look at this post. Um, I have the entire statement from Logjam from their website included in the post and a lot of highlights. I'm trying to find the portion where we, we talk about the vision. Let's see, where is that? Um, there's stuff about retaining culture, continuing to operate with the same ethos and spirit that we always have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of this is Chakotaganda. That's what I call it. And I will have a poem at the end of um, at the end of the whole episode. The, the end of the episode will have a nice Chakotaganda poem. But let's see. Um, the Chakota family will remain owners with the majority of their net worth remaining invested in the company. They will continue to manage the company's day-to-day -day operations. Oh, see, according to Nick Chakota, president of Logjam, um, out-of-state, national, and regional promoters are already actively promoting in venues <clears throat> around the state. This new partnership will allow Logjam to remain competitive as a Montana-based promoter and will retain our event booking, marketing, management, and most importantly, 100% of our staff locally. Yay, yay, yay. Um, I can't find the exact port portion that I wanted to, to read, but you can go and check it all out at ZoomCron. Let us go now to the next post. This is kind of a brief one. It's titled, Heat is Hot and so is sex work. There's a nice picture at the beginning of a plume of smoke. We are, we are fully in the fire season here in Montana. Fires are busting out all over the place. It's gonna get smoky, hot, nasty. That tourism dollar gets a little soft when the smoke gets real choky choky. So hopefully that won't get too bad since you know tourism is one of the main engines we rely on here in Missoula now for economic activity. But that's not what the post is about. The post is actually kind of about the utter shittiness of the Missoulian and how the Missoulian, the Missoulian shows me a fucking bear in a swimming pool in Burbank, California, like I give a shit. The Missoulian knows I don't give a shit, but I'm sure their, their business numbers and their marketing strategy and their um, absolute gutting of the, the, the real reporting capacity, like the things they're supposed to be doing, they just regurgitate shit like this. And you know what? Fucking pisses me off. Uh, maybe it's because I do this like local journalism thing without much co compensation. I rely on donations um, from people like you, and it's a little annoying to see a goddamn bear taking a taking a break in a swimming pool in Burbank, California. But that's what the Missoulian puts out there. What what do I put out there? Well, I put out there stuff like hmm, you can stumble into situations that lead to questions like how many Asian possibly Chinese people are working in massage parlors in Missoula, Montana. Now there was an arrest. So soul massage had an official arrest. Okay. So sex work seems to be alleged at soul massage. I ran across BZ spa and a nice, very helpful woman um, who was trying to give me the manager phone number because my, my wheel fell off of my van as I was driving it on reserve street. So I had to very quickly get my vehicle off the road and I did so wanted to let the business know my car was going to be there for a few days well she had nothing but like Mandarin Chinese script on her phone so of course as a curious journalist type person I was kind of scratching my head like like huh and then I had a tipster say guess what this lavender bodywork place this weird sort of like hut looking uh, structure 
on this weird peninsula part um, of Missoula in the Slant Street neighborhoods? Well, guess what? Another interesting place where you can get rubbed down and you can even use their shower afterward. It says a nice, helpful uh, review. A lot of five-star reviews. And, you know, another Asian woman um, just helpfully hope, hoping, hoping to maybe sell some massages. $60 for 30 minutes, I think, late on a Sunday evening as they were open. All of that could be perfectly fine. And all of the stuff that I find is perfectly public. So uh, interesting things to consider as you're living in Zoomtown. Maybe you want a little bit of relaxation. So maybe I might actually be doing some free marketing for Lavender Bodywork. You're welcome, Lavender Bodywork. Moving on to the next post, we've got on turning first responders into panhandlers and Cub Scouts into meat shields as budget season heats up. I do take liberty with lots of language sometimes in the title of the post so people really know what they're getting into. And, and in this one, they're going to see a Cub Scout book. Sometimes I'm not entirely sure why I get the books that I do, other than the fact I have an amazing and expanding private library that I hope to monetize in some kind of way with a membership. More on that at, in a later episode. But um, Wolf Cub Scout book is nicely pictured, introducing to this August 2nd post about not just Cub Scouts as meat shields, but how first responders are truly being turned into panhandlers. And I said this comment with all these fire guys sitting behind me, fire guys that didn't really want to talk to me in the intermission between Wednesday committee hearings, city council hearings here in Missoula. But um, I am advocating for them because I'm advocating against tax increment financing, which is a scheme that uses urban renewal districts to go... That's like a sucking sound, and that's the sound of money draining from the general fund. Like, actually, it's supposed to fund the fire people, the police people, um, a lot of the school people. You know, this is what the general fund does, and it's done primarily in Montana through property taxes. Those property taxes are going, that's a, that's a rocket sound going up. So the sucking sound going down and the rocket sound going up um, really are two opposing sounds and, and opposing directions and movements and it's it's not a good thing actually it creates not goodness in my very articulate way of talking and in order to have some amazing imagery there were some pages that I was not expecting to find in this Cub Scout book truly fantastic you can uh, apparently do some make-believe that's an elective you get mom and dad's little you know initials to get some credit and really, it's just a great opportunity for me to remind city council, the fire people, anyone listening online, um, like Martin Gomer Kidston, uh, the Montana Democrat spokesperson, former, quote unquote, who now has the Missoula Current and has difficulty reporting facts. They could all hear me talk about tax increment financing, panhandling, fire guys, and how that's all just not good stuff. So you can listen to that comment. I like to um, record the clips so you can hear the comment yourself. I mentioned in the comment some pretty cool windows and how those cool windows cost $50,000 in, in tax increment financing money. Those windows are looking pretty hot, so you can go and look at the El Cazador new facility, $50,000 so that they can have nice windows on their building, look pretty good. Um, I also took a picture of the infrastructure of First Security Bank is going up. They got $700,000 in tax increment financing they're consolidating their branches it's in the up-and-coming midtown area so don't you know we got to help them out we got to help out that bank yeah <laughs> are you feeling your blood boiling just a bit i know i am so check out that post 
some great pictures of a Cub Scout book from back in the day. Know Your Neighborhood. Good suggestion, Cub Scout book. Okay, we got the sharks. What are they doing? Well, there's actually a shark movie coming out. That's not what this post is about. This post is about them, the sharks, you know, metaphorical sharks, eating Montana bite by bite. There's a uh, the Circle Square secondhand store. I love talking to John and stopping in there and getting stuff from his place. I don't like seeing the bullshit fucking graffiti that was on the side of his building. So you can um, see that. It says buy, sell, trade with a bunch of nasty, ugly, bullshit looking graffiti. Do I sound like an old person complaining about graffiti? Yeah. Do I care? No, I don't because fuck that graffiti. So why not sell out to the sharks? That's a question I'm asking after, uh, well, not for myself because I don't own Chico Hot Springs. Okay, like, like Colin Davis. Colin Davis did own uh, Chico Hot Springs, but now Diamond Rock Hospitality, Hospitality Company owns uh, this 117-room Paradise Valley Resort. It only costs thir $33 million. That's a number that conspiracy theorists love to see. Um, probably makes them think that this has now turned into an adrenochrome processing facility. But $33 million, what a bunch of fucking bullshit. Well, Montana, what, what can you say? Yellowstone really put us on the map. The pandemic made all the people with deep pockets want to come here. Um, we are actually the fastest growing state, one of the fastest growing states in the country. I saw an article recently about that. Might have to include that in a future post. Um, but in this post, you can um, check it out. You can look about, look, look about, yeah, look around. Um, there's also a, a sad little poem from me and some lines of a poetry from Joanna Klink. So I actually ran into Joanna Klink recently. Uh, Joanna was shopping around downtown and expressed to me her sadness of what this town looks like. She still comes and visits, but um, it's been a while since she's taught on campus. I have a, a link. You can find some of her stuff, and I actually have a book of hers coming. Um, you greet each person on the street, and the dark civilization of wind slams through you. Hell yeah, Joanna. That's your stuff. One of my favorite professors from the university days. My poem, not as happy. <laughs> well, not that that was happy. Um, but I'm not going to get to the poetry quite yet. We're going to have a different poem at the end. So I think we're getting close to the end. We're getting close to the end. Some thoughts for whoever comes after me. Um, I'm not really going to get into this post. You can read it. Um, it's part of a really frustrating situation um, I'm dealing with that might bleed into the content that I have created uh, because of claims um, that came up in a different court proceeding this week. So very disappointing on so many fronts, but um, really something that I am having to now rethink the Rebecca Barsati case and some of the information I am privileged to know um, because things have really changed for me in a, in a pretty dramatic way. So let's get to the last post. I'm going to take one more last sip of water. Before continuing, oh, sorry, my voice is a little froggy. The smoke outside is starting to get annoying. So some thoughts on drugs and security in Zoomtown and beyond. That's the name of the post, August 4th, the name, the title. And uh, you can check it out. There's a smoky sky and the, the Kettle House Amphitheater at the foot mouth of the <laughs> mouth of the Blackfoot River. <clears throat> and then you can see the highly produced image of the amphitheater from the Logjam Presents website. So this is another uh, post that's touching a bit on what's happening with Logjam and Live Nation. 
And part of that is a theory I've developed, and it's a theory that my conversations on the street, this was, <laughs> I think, Tuesday night, uh, my roommate and I went out to, to kind of get the feel the temperature of people that that were out and about about this uh, Nick Dakota thing. I, for some reason, I, I was asking um, these people standing outside the Golden Rose um, what they thought of Nick Dakota and the, the deal, and I almost ruined their night. They were so immediately triggered and upset because of stories they had. Not that I was able to hear these stories. They just said, stop talking, ruining the vibe. So when I mentioned Nick Dakota, apparently that was ruining the vibe for these three individuals. But um, what I what I learned is, and, and what I was thinking is that Nick Dakota with Groove is into cannabis. I think he's expanding into can into cannabis. One of the challenges as a music promoter in Montana is that you know these exclusionary contracts that artists have to sign make sure that like they can't really do much with other companies. And so I bet Nick hit quite the ceiling in terms of expanding logjam and decided to just give in to Live Nation. But what is he going to get? What is Nick Dakota going to get um, for this deal signed that's like just a couple years? So my my sense from talking to people is that this could be a kind of honeymoon audition time period in which Nick is auditioning not his music promoting abilities, but his ability to, to bring his own cannabis into the venues directly. This could be something huge for Nick if Live Nation's uh, promotion, concert infrastructure could be accessed for Groove Cannabis, imagine all of the possibilities. And then further imagine the possibilities if a Democrat administration maybe declassi declassified, no, we're not talking about UFOs, uh, descheduled um, cannabis, took it off the Schedule 1 list. Imagine that. Imagine all the states are now able to have, maybe within their private business venues, cannabis being sold and hey here's nick Dakota with groove selling you all those pre-rolled weed cigarettes right well to con not confirm this but to sort of uh reinforce this as a potential possibility one of the guys i talked to uh that tuesday night said that sure enough he's going to be going to a festival very soon and they are cracking down on people bringing in their own cannabis so even though it's now legal people can have possession of cannabis in a state like montana well, you're not going to necessarily be able to bring in your own weed. You're going to have to spend a bunch more money like you do beer at a baseball game or football game in order to, to get stoned and listen to the music. So I think that something like that could be afoot. And this last post of the week is touching on that as a possibility. But drugs have illegal destabilizing components to them as well, like meth. And I'm having some pretty troubling conversations with one person in particular who I know pretty well. And that is leading to a bunch of other conversations, phone calls, some stuff I can't get into the specifics of quite yet. Um, but there was a couple opportunities here. And one opportunity was to remind Missoula readers of Colton Peterson. So Colton Peterson was a 21-year-old that got sucked into a scheme in which he was supposed to give up names, be sort of an informant, and instead he decided to kill himself. So Colton committed suicide as a result of what the police were trying to get him to do for them. And I am sensitive to that. So in this case, it's private security and possible ideas being put into this unstable person's head by private security. At least that's the claim or what I'm hearing. And so the different parties involved, I think, should probably be made aware, especially if you're a company uh, moving into a consolidated contract, maybe under something called the integrated public 
safety department? Head scratch, head scratch. Okay. Another opportunity I had, and this was actually after my, my court hearing, um, <sighs> I, I took a walk down the sidewalk by the little burrito shop um, in the bus transfer center to the, the courthouse. And oftentimes there's people in the grass sitting there in the courthouse lawn. A lot of times I like to have conversations. I had one hell of a conversation. And I talked to a woman who claimed to be at the bonfire on the night that Joey Thompson went missing. This would be April 11th. Um, and her claims were the most specific scenario that I have heard. It included hearing gunshots. Um, so you can read about that. Let's see. Instead of, I have a pretty good summary of, of this. I'll just read it from the, let's see. I will read from the post. Okay. Um, Joey was allegedly in a vehicle with Dylan Seat and Kaysen Knopp for a beer run, but Joey wouldn't pony up money since he was already drunk, so Kaysen punched him, a knife was pulled, Joey got stabbed, and then they left Joey behind. The woman telling me this said, Dylan and Kaysen returned to the bonfire and then left shortly afterward. Not long after that, people heard several gunshots. I was then told that people returned to the area the next day, wrapped Joey's body in a rug, then took him to Superior, Montana, where he was dumped in the river. Uh, this is the second person who has told me a gun was involved in the death of Joy Thompson, but so far law enforcement said there's no foul play suspected in this case. Really? Okay, so that is what I have out there on zoomcron.com. That's Z-O-O-M-C-H-R-O-N, as in Nancy. And you can reach out to me at willskink at yahoo.com. That's W-I-L-L-S-K-I-N-K. If you have anything you would like to reach out and say to me, um, I do have a lot of things sort of moving behind the scenes and I'm definitely talking to people in without the ability to, to really get into the details. So um, I do have those on background conversations and they stay on background when they need to stay on background, because as you can hear and indicate, there are some fairly serious things that are going on here in paradise, beautiful Missoula, Montana or what I call Zoom Town. So thank you for tuning in. I will be finding a book selection to read. Lots of books have been coming in. Um, I've been finding all kinds of interesting books at the Book Exchange and uh, the Antique Mall and uh, all, my, all my favorite haunts. And so i got to figure out what to select for the book selection. Stay tuned. Okay, so my voice is a little shot, but I'm going to persevere anyways. It might be a little bit difficult to listen to me read this chapter, but <clears throat> the book I have selected for this week's Week in Review <clears throat> is by a Christian woman who wrote a book dealing with mental illness. The woman's name is Lori Johnson, and the book is I Am Lori. I'm going to read from chapter 14. And uh, just as a heads up, I worked with Lori, actually. Well, Lori worked with the Business Improvement District, and so I'm very familiar with uh, Lori's work on the streets of Missoula, Montana, sort of on the business side, and uh, her husband actually is a police officer, so for a little context. <clears throat> My mom periodically suggested I take antidepressants, since depression runs in our family. Obviously, she had observed signs that something was wrong at various points in my life. I had always resisted because I felt happiness was a choice. I continually read Bible verses that spoke of being joyful. Proverbs 17.22 says, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. <clears throat> if I chose happiness, then I wouldn't need medication. It was as simple as that. When I failed to realize 
But what I failed to realize was that this was that this verse never said medicine was bad. In fact, it implied it is good. I would never expect a cancer patient or heart patient to forego treatment for their medical conditions. Why should a brain disorder be any different? I now believe this particular Bible verse has many interpretations. Stress does cause or exacerbate health conditions, so trying to maintain a positive attitude is very helpful in life. However, a person with a mental illness has a huge obstacle in his path or her path, and some sort of treatment may be necessary to move the boulder out of the way. Life doesn't need to hurt this much. The important thing to remember is that a pill can't fix everything either, so it is necessary to attend to the spiritual aspects of wellness in addition to the physical ones. One without the other is less effective. I am evidence of that. You may be able to survive while not really living. The next major meltdown I experienced one month after the trip to Hawaii occurred because of the youth group activity when a girl's comment caused me to desire to cut or burn my flesh. Because of this event, I finally realized I needed help, so Jim and I searched for a professional. At first, I attempted to schedule an appointment with my friend's practitioner since I'd never been to anyone in the medical field for something like this. It turned out that she was not taking any new patients at that time. Hesitantly, we resorted to looking in the phone book. I knew I needed to find someone who recognized even the most subtle differences between various mental disorders after an experience with my general physician several years earlier. During a routine physical at that time, I told my doctor I had been feeling tired lately. He responded that I should take an antidepressant. After all, what could it hurt? He was extremely insistent. During that period, I was still in a place of believing happiness is always a choice, so I resisted. Now I am glad I did. He asked no further questions, yet wanted to prescribe something to alter my brain chemistry. This is not wise at all because it is of utmost importance to have a proper diagnosis in order to prescribe the most effective treatment. In a small yellow page ad, I found what I was looking for. A medical professional advertised that she worked with people suffering from things such as obsessive compulsive disorder, anxiety disorders, depression, and bipolar disorder. My mom repeatedly told me that depression ran in our family, but I had taken the online test that caused me to wonder if I actually suffered from bipolar disorder. I needed to finally know whether I was suffering from one of those two disorders or something else. After nearly three decades of battling an adversary I didn't know existed, I was about to head in a new direction. My nurse practitioner, Ellen, spent a lengthy amount of time with me. She asked all sorts of questions and listened to my ramblings. After all, where do you begin with a story like mine? At the end of the session, she told me, she is very careful about diagnosing bipolar disorder. This is due to the stigma, but she also feels it is overdiagnosed. Ellen would prefer to say someone has bipolar tendencies. In my case, she was certain. I do have manic depressive disorder. The enemy finally had a name, and now he could develop a plan of attack. And now we could develop a plan of attack. My immediate reaction was a mixture of both. I knew it was this to, are you really certain? There was something about this type of diagnosis that was hard to swallow, even though in my heart I knew it was true. A lot of different emotions welled up inside of me in the coming days and weeks. I felt a sense of relief, in a way, because now I knew what the opponent was and there was help. I was so wary, <clears throat> I did not have the stamina to keep fighting in the manner I had relied upon for years. I also felt a little bit of shame unnecessarily because no one wants to have a mental illness. It wasn't something I could be completely open about for a while. <clears throat> I remember how kids would make jokes on track trips when we passed the state mental hospital in Montana. I didn't want to be one of those people. <clears throat> there was a sadness as I came to grips with the fact that, though there is treatment, it is considered an incurable illness. I would have to live with it the rest of my life. 
Bipolar disorder robbed me and my relationships of such joy throughout adulthood, and I needed to grieve the loss of so many dreams along the way. This was probably the most difficult emotion to deal with. There were so many regrets that it was almost overwhelming. Conversely, I also had a sense of pride since I had been strong enough to endure. It had not defeated me. After all those years of perceived failure, my name truly did fit me. Lori, crown of victory. Most importantly, I felt gratitude to the Lord who saved my life and encouraged me through his word to keep fighting the fight. Without him, I never could have survived. The first person I told of my diagnosis was my husband, who was quite skeptical at first. As a police officer, the only people with bipolar disorder he dealt with were having extreme episodes. I hadn't stolen a car or run down the street in my underwear, which is what he thought of when referring to bipolar disorder. When he knew he was going on a call that involved someone suffering from this, he would immediately believe he was in for an interesting night, and generally, he was right, since the person was in a crisis. I had hidden my worst from him. I informed my biological family next due to the fact that mental disorders are prevalent within families. I was extremely, it was extremely important for them to receive this knowledge, since we knew of several who had struggled. When Jim and I told our adult sons, they were wonderfully supportive. I was attempting to explain the disorder to them, so I proceeded to give the most notable example from their childhood when I had thrown their toys away. Garrett, with a grin, said, You didn't get all of them. We had a good laugh, realizing our children, though disobedient in this instance, had their own coping mechanisms in place to deal with the occasional craziness. Garrett also told me I had been a good mom. He knew exactly what an insecure mom needed to hear. It, ha it has been a road to recovery ever since the initial diagnosis. <clears throat> a person does not get over years and years of pain overnight. The following November, I made another appointment with a plastic surgeon to discuss having a breast augmentation. I chose a different physician from the first time, and I was pleased that his philosophy was to keep me looking as natural as possible by not going with too large of implants. I was so comfortable with this doctor that I scheduled the surgery for January. From the November examination forward, I wrestled over the path I was choosing. One day I would feel one way, the next day I would feel the opposite. I wanted to finally be able to shop for clothes and feel like I looked attractive in them, yet I had some nagging doubts. As a youth group leader, what message would I be sending to impressionable teenage girls about how they felt about their own bodies? What would God feel about this decision I was making? After all, I would basically be saying I wasn't satisfied with how he created me. Would it be a sin to follow through, or would it be no big deal? Since I was still contending with these mixed feelings in January, I canceled the procedure. There have been periods when I've reconsidered my choice in the months and years following, but at this time, I'm still not at peace with going ahead. My husband has encouraged me that he is completely satisfied with me just exactly the way I am, and I have come a long way in self-acceptance. With the passing of time, I have become more and more candid about my diagnosis. I told trusted friends and continued from there as I found that people, though quite surprised to find out I suffered from bipolar disorder, were always very supportive. Now I speak to groups and openly share about my experience. Each time I choose to tell my secret, I gain confidence and strength. I've also found there are far more people with brain disorders than I ever realized. Often people do not speak about a mental disorder until they feel safe. It is a secret no one wants to share, but at the time, but at the same time may desperately need to, to share. It is a lonely enough life for the afflicted that further isolation because of the diagnosis could be detrimental. At least for me, it would be. One must be sufficiently far along the acceptance and healing process, however, to divulge such a, such a secret. It is a gradual happening that should be dictated by the person who is dealing with his own diagnosis. Understanding that Jim needed freedom to share with trusted friends as he was adjusting to the news of the disorder, I only requested that he check with me before he told others. He did choose to reveal it to a few people without my knowledge. I wasn't comfortable with some of them having that information about me and, and felt a bit betrayed at first. I know Jim meant no harm, and he felt at ease with the ones he spoke with. 
It would have been nice to have been consulted beforehand, but at this point in time, I experienced such freedom from being open that I don't care who knows about it. My grandmother had what was referred to as a chemical imbalance in her brain. She was a wonderful, caring person, and I loved to visit her as a child. I knew she struggled with depression, however, from things I heard family members say. Unfortunately for her, treatment options were not as sophisticated as they are now. She endured shock treatments, and they experimented with many different medications, but she never enjoyed the success I have with my treatment plan. Several other relatives have been on antidepressants. There has been substance abuse in my extended family as well, which can be a sign of self-medication. Since my diagnosis, it has been concluded that two other family members have bipolar disorder. Then there was my sweet nephew, Jeremy. Jeremy was never diagnosed with bipolar disorder, but I always felt we had some very similar traits. He loved animals and children, was a distance runner who broke four minutes in the mile, and was also a very good student. Though a bit impulsive at times, he had a personality everyone was drawn to, always putting others first. How could a person not love someone like Jeremy? He tended to give all of himself in relationships, but would easily be heartbroken. That's actually one of the factors that led to his untimely death, and nearly led to mine so many years ago. If only he'd known what value he had so to so many people, what a bright future could have been his. Unfortunately, he was incapable of seeing beyond his pain. After Jeremy took his life in 2003, my sister let me read his journal. I completely understood him and convinced this precious life was taken by manic depressive disorder. We will never know for sure, but it seems quite likely. Because of losing Jeremy and experiencing all I have in life, it is now my goal to help others who may be afflicted or are living with someone who is afflicted with a mental illness. It is no longer something that needs to be hidden. It is not shameful. The only thing that is a shame is the fact that people are suffering needlessly when help is available. Of concern to me in the future, of course, is the well-being of my sons and their children. As long as our communication is open and we maintain a high level of awareness, I believe we can alleviate a lot of suffering <clears throat> in those family members who may develop signs of this illness in years to come. It is common for it to show itself in a person's late teens or early 20s, though it is certainly not restricted to that time frame. Understanding the potential triggers is vitally important in determining how to manage this illness. Being aware of what the symptoms are for bipolar disorder is so critical, especially if it has already shown up in a family member. There tends to be a genetic link, as we have certainly found in my family. Bipolar disorder is marked by dramatic and unpredictable mood swings. I was diagnosed with bipolar, I, which means... Oh, bipolar 1, which means I have had at least one manic episode where my abnormally elevated mood caused a behavior that disrupted my life. Unfortunately, there have been several occurrences of this in my lifetime. Bipolar 2 is a bit more subdued in that a full-blown mania is not ever reached. 10 to 20% of those suffering from bipolar disorder also experience something called rapid cycling. This is when there are four or more episodes of mania or depression within one year. I am one of the unlucky ones to also fit in this category. A mixed episode is when both mania and depression present simultaneously or in rapid succession. This too is something I have suffered from and is when a person is most at risk of suicide. When someone is truly depressed, often he or she does not have the energy to follow through by taking his or own life. Depression coupled with the high anxiety of a manic episode can create a deadly situation. Some complications of bipolar disorder involve self-injury, included are things like cutting, self-mutilation, and other forms of self-harm. Self-injury can be used as a ritual or as an immediate release in a time of stress. Some types, some types of this include picking at skin, headbanging, burning, scratching, pulling hair out, hitting, or biting. As I've shared throughout my story, I experienced some of these to varying degrees as far back as the primary grades and, of course, struggled with the ultimate self-injury of suicide. It is estimated that between 25 and 50% of people with bipolar disorder attempt suicide, while as many as 20% of sufferers complete the act. Along with the professional help of medication, my mood is greatly impacted 
by food choices, sleep patterns, and exercise. There is a commonly held belief that consuming fish regularly or taking daily fish oil supplements helps with brain function. Eating a variety of nuts may also be beneficial for the same reason. Consuming a diet low in fat and sodium but high in lean meats, fruits, and vegetables seems to be helpful for me in maintaining a balanced mood. I also tend to drink a lot of water and eat regular meals, including breakfast, so I maintain energy throughout the day. People often know a period of mania is on its way due to the inability to sleep at night. A couple of things I've found helpful are to exercise regularly, but not too, but not too near bedtime, and to take melatonin, a natural sleep aid, when I know I really need to have a restful night. Regular sleep patterns are critical for someone like me. Coming to terms with my limitations has been no easy task. I've found it wisest to to learn to live within them, however, since the benefits are significant. It has been especially difficult to be limited in how much I can accomplish each day. For someone who used to feel like I could conquer the world without being held back, I have learned to take time to rest when I sense I am nearing the edge. Knowledge is power and is my desire to live an empowered life. Jim's family had another reunion about two years after I found out I had a mental illness. This time, it was wonderful, and I had so much fun with all of his sisters. The amazing thing was they did not yet know I had suffered from bipolar disorder for my entire adult life. What this reunion revealed to me is that my level of wellness dictated to a great extent how well I related to others. They hadn't changed, but I had. I am so pleased with this result and feel like it helped with the healing process from past wounds. Quite possibly I was more to blame for the dysfunction from my past than anyone else. For someone who always wanted to place blame on others when my mind was ill, this was a huge revelation. I am happy with how improved all my relationships have become and I expect a very bright future. Realizing I'm only responsible for my own decisions also causes me to feel very empowered. The recent passing of another anniversary date since my diagnosis with bipolar disorder caused me to reflect on God's goodness and faithfulness. He made a promise to me 26 years prior to my diagnosis that I would be happy again, even though the news that I suffered with bipolar disorder was not entirely welcome at the moment and I still had a long way to go in the healing process. It was the beginning of the fulfillment of God's promise to me. Isn't it amazing how God works? Probably no one could have predicted that finding out I had bipolar disorder would be the way God would finally answer my agonizing prayer of two simple words so many years ago. Help me. Oh, how he did help me, sustain me, love me, and heal my broken heart. His love truly has followed me all the days of my life, even when I couldn't always see it. All right, well, that is the end of that chapter from the book I Am Lori by Lori Johnson, How Bipolar Disorder Altered My Life. Uh, put out by West Bow Press. So um, I hope you enjoyed that little excerpt from a book from a woman dealing with some mental health issues. Um, I hope it's insightful. I'm sure certainly taking away some uh, some lessons from that, that chapter. Thank you for listening to my shattered voice. Um, stay tuned. I will be continuing to put out content, I think. Um, there is a, a possibility. I might just stop for a while, um, stop putting out content. Um, since really I'm in uh, a significant amount of pain myself, um, dealing with so much, uh, so much stuff, serious stuff in my life. So I'm going to have to do some serious thinking about what I have the capacity for and I'll figure that shit out on my own. So thank you for all the support out there. Zoomcron.com is where you can read the articles as long as I keep writing them. Thanks so much. Ode to the space between buildings. O oh, chasm of concrete where dumpsters live, how mighty and vacuous your path. A man without a home could live there with rats and honest roaches by feeding on the leavings of others. 
A restless murder of crows chatter like avian tweakers from the power lines above, watching everything below. Watch me now, crow. Reverse the flow of time back to Colorado, brash, dumb kid, me, writing my story like I had lived any kind of life by 19. Teen tethered to my first sad damsel, no fucking clue the volcano rage can be. Not when the red seas of box wine drowned the parts of my heart I lost on purpose. Because fuck that. Cool rivers and a love I thought would last, with a sky big enough to not care too much, and two decades down like a shotgun blast. Stop time, I command you. Back up these terrible steps forward I can't fathom anymore. Different mountains. Adam's Kitchen, Manitou and the mystery of the steel door to the tunnel leading I don't know where. Do you care? Shall I continue? I will not simply stutter and mutter for the stars to hear. You must have a form, part pliable, to receive this right, not left, in the accordion of strange masks worn by slow, methodic wolves but correct to who you are, to what stirred when the curtain came down and they stopped asking nicely for your blood. Sure enough, Oppenheimer, it was a flood of fire you helped ignite above us. Or is that just Christopher rubbing one out for the old gods and their monstrous appetites? Unbothered by the slow death of the box office, no novice dare enter the sharp glass inside your forehead. One, three, twenty, and not dead yet. So quit trying so hard. Backyards are for gardens to nurture. And the space between buildings? Just another easy place to find pain. That's my poem, Ode to That Space Between Buildings. Thank you for tuning in. Not sure what next week will bring. It'll bring something. And I'll try and record it. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>